you have a Bible, we'll go to Luke chapter 23 together. If you don't, there is a hardback uh, black one in front of you uh, underneath the chair. We won't spend too long tonight, um, but we will be in Luke chapter 23 uh, as we look at uh, one of the things that Jesus said while he hung on the cross. And so uh, every Good Friday, we uh, will pick a different saying uh, that Jesus uh, had as he hung on the cross. Um, and in so doing, kind of the idea is that we want to hear um, the cross speak again to this day. So uh, there are actually seven different sayings recorded for us in the Gospels as Jesus uh, was on the cross. Um, we have covered two of them uh, so far. We covered Eloi, Eloi, Labah. Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and we've also done um, Jesus saying to the criminal uh, that today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, today, uh, tonight, we'll look at a, another saying here in Luke chapter 23. Um, it's been said that Good Friday is the longest and darkest day of the year uh, for a Christian. Uh, as we think about the suffering of our, of our Lord, as we think about the death um, that he endured. Um, I think it's equally difficult for us because of the culture that we live in um, that would seek to avoid the topic of death at all costs. Um, we live in an age that Jeffrey Gorer calls um, the pornography of death uh, in the sense that we've made death something that we don't touch and that we don't look at and that we avoid at all cost to the point where it seems to surprise us. Uh, in our modern age when people die and, and we're ill-prepared for it. Um, so, I mean, we can give an example. Before technology kind of took off, death was a daily part of life. Um, I mean, just a daily part of living. We'll give three examples. Food, okay? You and I go to McDonald's and we eat chicken nuggets. And they don't look much like chickens. Uh, and we don't hear the chickens, right, being killed. We don't I mean, we eat beef, we eat hamburgers, all these type of things. Um, so in the past, right, you realized when you ate meat, you were eating something that had been killed. You had maybe helped kill it, right? You had maybe helped clean it and prepare it, things like that. But now because of technology, we don't want to see that. We don't want to hear that. Um, in fact, right, PETA brings up images of what happens to these animals before they're given to us as food. And we're like, no, 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 we don't want to see that. Take that away. That's gross. That's ugly. Don't bring it on my kitchen counter, right? This is what Jeffrey would call the pornography of death. You put these pictures in a book, and we say, that's not worth looking at. Get that away from us. And so we want to separate ourselves from death, um, even when, I mean, we, we eat it, right? We, we eat kind of the results of it. Um, you've also got the, the question of how and where people die. Um, if you look in the pre-technology era, um, people died uh, typically at their houses, uh, you died, with doctors would make visits, right? Um, and also the people taking care of you while you died would be your family. Um, and so by the time a, a human being 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, would have been to their time of death, um, they would have already seen people die. Lots of people that they loved and that were close to them. They would have probably already dug a grave. They would have already been by the side of someone as they died. Um, but now with the advance of technology, right, we have hospitals, and we, in fact, have people who take care of that. So as soon as someone dies, right, they, they're taken away. They're prepared uh, outside of us. Um, we're not involved in that. We avoid that. And then you've got cemeteries. I was at a church recently, and we, I was driving out of the driveway, and I saw tombstones maybe just 50 feet from the church, the front door. And it occurred to me, how, how strange is that? Uh, I mean, that just seems weird to me. There's... I mean, that's got to creep you out. I mean, there's just tombstones right there. Uh, and I was told that's, that's kind of an older, right? You used to 
have the cemeteries on the church property. And, and in fact, uh, used to be you'd have actually graves on your family property. Um, and now again, we have pushed that away, right? We don't want to be reminded of that death right there. So we avoid it at all costs. And, and you see the fruit of that. Uh, when again, we're surprised. We're surprised with our own deaths. Uh, and we're surprised um, with the death of other people. But pre-technology, you had to look at death and you had to deal with it. And so it's hard for us just as, as people who live in 2012, to spend a day looking at somebody dying. And it's equally hard, I think, to try to wrap our minds around who, in fact, it is that's dying. Because this is not just a family member, and this is not just a friend, or this is not just someone we hear about on the news. But as the scriptures would tell us, this is the Son of God. This is God himself dying on a cross. And so tonight, for just a few moments, I want us to not avoid his death. I want us to look at it. I want us to feel it. I want us to see it. And I think in so doing, um, we'll be changed and, and we'll be drawn to worship him. Uh, and we'll be drawn to worship um, the God who, who gives himself for us. Um, so we'll read in Luke 23. Uh, and we'll pick it up in verse 26. Luke 23, verse 26. As they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people, and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Verse 32. Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the Skull, or Golgotha, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this will be the saying that we focus on. Um, you'll remember from the, the interview that we watched, the, the guard, he, he's not expecting that. Um, he's not prepared for that. He's prepared for insults and threats and beg, begging, um, but he's not prepared for, for the one being crucified to say, I forgive you. And to pray to the Father to forgive him. But as he's hanging there, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other one rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today... You will be with me in paradise. Verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. 
And then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Okay, the Christian confession um, from the the earliest Christians, you see this in John chapter 1, is that um, Jesus is God incarnate. He's God enfleshed. And that the fullness of deity dwells inside of Jesus. And so when we see Jesus, we're seeing God himself. And, and so this means when we see Jesus talk to people, we're seeing God talk to people. When we see Jesus' opinions on things in the Gospels, we're seeing Jesus' opinions on things in the Gospels. And when we see Jesus in John chapter 8 forgive a woman who deserves death, we're seeing God's heart. We're seeing him forgive a woman who deserves death. And the implications of all of this is that on the cross, what we're seeing is the heart of God. Is God himself dying in the place of his creation, out of love for his creation. And so we focus tonight on this, this saying in verse 34. As Jesus has, has just been nailed to the cross, he looks toward the sky the standard Jewish stance of prayer would be to have your arms out looking toward the sky. His arms are nailed and he looks up to the sky and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now here's the danger when we talk about the cross. The danger is that we end up making the cross more about us than it is about God. And so here's, here's how we like to think of the cross, and here's how we like to diminish the suffering and the mystery that is God incarnate dying. Um, we, we like to say, he did it for us. And instead of seeing what's happening on the cross as God dies, we want to kind of skim past that and focus on kind of how much he loves us. And how much we're worth. And, and there's this danger that we exalt ourselves and actually miss out on the real point. Which is on the cross, we're seeing the heart of God himself. On the cross, we're seeing the deepest desires and plans and attitudes and love that God has. That he possesses. Notice who Jesus is talking to. He, he doesn't address the criminal. He doesn't address the bypassers, the people watching. And he doesn't address the ones he's forgiven. He addresses the Father. Christians believe that, that God is triune, um, that there um, is one nature to God, so one divinity, one sense of godness. But there are three persons, three distinct persons, the Trinity, three in one. And so you have the Father, and you have the Son, and you have the Spirit. Um, and sometimes we, we lose sight of, of this idea um, that we serve a triune God, that the God of the Scriptures is um, the Trinity, is a triune God. But, but if we can keep this in our minds, it helps make sense of a lot of the language that we typically use. And so um, sometimes we look at the Gospels when Jesus is praying, and we go, how silly is that? God can't pray to God. I mean, he's talking to himself. That's kind of silly. But, but when you have this Trinity concept, when you have this idea, you see it's the Son communicating to the Father as he does here. Who does he address? He speaks to the Father. Herbert McKay would say that in this one line, what we get is for a second, we get a glimpse into the inner life of the Trinity. 
we get a glimpse into what they talk about to each other. We get a glimpse into their conversations, into their hearts, into the deepest purposes and desires of the one God of all the universe. So according to the Christian belief, God has always been triune, right? So before anything was created, there was community. There was three. This is why it, it might be, at the, the very least, superficial to say that God created us for community. Because he had perfect community. And if he created us because he was lonely, it was a, it was a bad decision. I mean, we're bad companion partners for God. But instead, the, the picture that the Christians paint um, is that there was this triune God and, and that for all of eternity, there's been this sense of a, a dance inside of the Trinity or this give and take, this to and fro of love passing between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And it's out of this perfection, it's out of this satisfaction, it's out of this completion that God decides to create, to share the love, to invite other, someone else, into this love exchange between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And so the triune God says, let us create man in our image. And he creates man and he creates the world. And it's very good. And then creation rebels. In Genesis 3, man moves away and, and death enters into the world. Um, and, and so you have this sense of um, corruption working out into God's creation and, and um, a, a barrier put between creation, a man, and the triune God. Something that would separate man, creation, from experiencing the love that, that they were created to experience. And from the very beginning in, in Genesis 12, um, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they come to Abraham and they say, Hey, we're calling you. We're going to come into creation. We're going to come into history, and we're going to fix this problem. We're going to undo sin. We're going to undo death. We're going to invite you once again into our presence, once again into the inner life of the Trinity. And so the, the plan works itself out um, through the history of Israel. Uh, it leads itself up to, again, the incarnation, the, the second person of the Trinity, the Son entering into humanity. And living among us. And then it leads up to this point on the cross. And as he's about to die, he looks up and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And for just a second, for just a, a glimpse, we get to see the heart of the Trinity. We get to see the mystery of who God is and, and what he was doing on the cross. Notice that Jesus' prayer to the Father is fulfilled when he dies. This is what forgiveness looks like. This was the plan of the Trinity. This was the triune God's desire for creation. The cross was not a mistake. The cross is not something that surprised God. And we wonder, why, why would he have to die to forgive us? Why not just say, no big deal? And then we're, we're to the, the heart of what forgiveness is itself. Um, and so, so when, when a, a wrong happens, okay, in, in the world, I mean, we can use our own experience. When a wrong happens, um, a debt is created or a gulf is created between two relationships. Um, so, I mean, we can use the analogy of uh, a son or a daughter breaking a lamp. 
And no matter what happens after that, right, a lamp has been broken, a lamp that costs $40, um, what have you. Um, and so the common analogy is, right, you can forgive the son, but the $40 has to be paid. I mean, something has happened that has changed the, the reality in front of you, and that has to be addressed. Um, perhaps a better example, because of the relational nature um, of, of God and, and us, um, is if you've ever tried to forgive somebody who's wronged you, and it hurt. And, and you might go to someone and say, it's so hard to forgive somebody. It's so hard to forgive somebody. It's almost like torture, right? If somebody wrongs you and you try to keep yourself from really ripping into them and really telling them who they really are and how you really see them, it almost feels like, it almost feels like it's like crushing you on the inside. And you might go to someone and say, this is so hard. I, I just don't know how to forgive this person. And if they were thinking deeply, they might say, this is the proof that you are forgiving them. Because here's what happens in relationships. If someone wrongs you, a gulf is created. And it has to be addressed. That has to work itself out. And the only two options are for it to work itself out in the other person with you repaying them. Or for it to work itself out in you. Forgiveness is saying the hurt that you've caused will stay with me. And I'll let it work its way out to the ugly end without it ever reaching you. And the triune God creates, and creation invites death and separation. And they say, we'll forgive. And that forgiveness leads to a cross. People have, have noticed, right, God's um, answer to sin, God's answer to death is to die, is to experience sin. He lets it work itself out on him so that it does not reach us. And so there's this danger, right, in, in not seeing what's happening on the cross. On the cross, we don't necessarily see how great we are. And we don't necessarily see how much we're worth. Um, first, we see who God is. First we see what his desires are. First we see the great love that he has, this self-sacrificial love, this cross-shaped love, this cruciform love. And it's only then, it's only when we realize what's happening, it's only when we realize that on the cross we're seeing the triune God, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, experiencing the pain that we have created. It's only then that we're drawn into him. It's only then that we begin to, to worship. It's only then that we begin to, to see our lives changed. And, and again, we're drawn into this presence, into this to and fro, into this give and take that the Father has with the Son and that the Son has with the Spirit and the Spirit has with the Father. We're, we're reminded as we look at the cross that Jesus did not die on the cross to keep you and I from the cross. If you'll remember, one of his most famous sayings to the disciples is, take up your cross, you'll come after me. And they did. And once again, to us who avoid death, we go, no, he, he died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to die on the cross. And there's this real sense, right, where he was our substitute, where we don't experience the true force and punishment for our sins. But what Jesus does on the cross is we, we glimpse him dying for us as is he shows us the way to life, as Michelle prayed. 
on the cross we see, I mean, you can't help but think about earlier on in, in Luke chapter 6 or in Matthew 5 through 7, when Jesus is telling the disciples, here's how you act like someone who knows God. Do you remember what he says? He says, you forgive those who persecute you. You can't help but think as, as he prays, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, that you're glimpsing not only God, but man. That you're glimpsing what you and I were called to be. That you're glimpsing the reality of the plan that Jesus laid out for us. When he said, if you would follow after me, you love your enemies. If you would follow after me, you forgive those who harm you. You pray for those who persecute you. And on the cross, as he prays to the Father, we see what that looks like. We see what that call is. And we're once again beckoned to take up our cross, to be transformed into his image, and to find what it means to be a true human being. Um, there was a, a man in Algeria, whose name was Christian Deshergay. Uh He was a, a monk in Algeria, uh, and um, when Islam kind of became real big uh, in Algeria, and, and the radicals kind of took over in 1993, um, Christians started being killed, and, and he was anticipating his death, and he ended up being beheaded in 1996 by Muslim radicals, um, but he left a testament with his family to be opened on his death, and in that testament, he asked those um, who love him that they would pray that he was worthy of offering such a sacrifice, um, and he expressed his fear that his death would be used to accuse in general these people, the Islamic people. And so that when he died, this would be proof, right? That these people should be hated, that these people should be avoided. And he's, he's afraid that his, his death for them will end up doing the opposite. Will end up leading to, to accusing them, those whom he loves so much. And he ends the letter that he wrote to his family. And I'll, I'll read this. He says, obviously my death will justify the opinion of all those who dismiss me as naive or idealistic. What we might think of as Jesus on the cross. He was naive to think that he could come and, and dwell among us. He was naive to think that we could receive him. Obviously, my death is going to be used, right, to, to dismiss those, to dismiss me as naive or idealistic, but... Um, they would say to me, let him tell us now what he thinks, as he's dead. But such people should know, Christian says, that my death will satisfy my most burning curiosity. At last, I will be able, if God pleases, to see the children of Islam as he sees them. Illuminated in the glory of Christ, sharing in the gift of God's passion and of the Spirit, whose secret joy will always be to bring forth our common humanity amidst our differences. I give thanks to God for this life, completely mine, yet completely theirs too, to God, who wanted it for joy against and in spite of all the odds. In this thank you, which says everything about my life, I include you, my friends, past and present, and those friends who will be with me here at the side of my mother and father, of my sisters and brothers, thank you a thousandfold. And to you too, my friend of the last moment, who will not know what you are doing, yes, for you too, I wish this thank you, this adieu, whose image is in you also, that we may meet in heaven like happy thieves, if it pleases God, our common father. Amen. Insha'Allah. Christian says, 
if I died for these people, this is not a tragedy. This is me finally being able to experience what it means to love someone fully. This is what's revealed to us on the cross. And so there's these scriptures. I'm, I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and, and 2, where Paul says that on the cross, as we, we look at Christ crucified, we see the wisdom and power of God. We see that true love for someone is expressed in, in what we call a cruciform shape. That God himself, the triune God, at his core is cruciform, is cross-shaped, is shaped like self-sacrificial love. Like a love that would say, no matter what it costs, I will rescue you, I will find you, I will protect you, I'll take the weight, I'll take the pain. And as we look on the cross, we see his love for us. And not just for us, but we see his love because that's who he is. We see his heart, we see his desire. We see the cruciform nature of the triune God. As the father hears the son cry out, forgive them. They don't know, they don't know what they do. And as Jesus breathes his last, the father says, yes, we forgive them. We'll take it on ourselves. And we'll invite them into our presence. We'll invite them to follow. We'll invite them to learn what it looks like to be a true human being, to be one who's reshaped in our image. And so tonight, as we look at the cross and as we, we think about the cross and as we prepare for Easter, we don't, we don't read the crucifixion story as those who do not know the ending, that he rose from the dead. But as we look at the cross, I want us to see there nothing other than God himself. And I want us to be drawn to the love that he's displayed for us. To the love that he is in essence. A love that would die in our place. A love that would say, forgive them, they don't, they don't even know what they're doing. And that we, like the centurion, would, would find ourselves saying, surely, surely this was the Son of God. Worthy to be followed and to be praised. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you um, for uh, your work on the cross. We thank you for uh, the love that you have shown us. Uh, we thank you for um, primarily who you are. We thank you that you are. And we thank you that you have not left us. You have not abandoned us. You have not turned us over. Instead, you, you came and you rescued and you intervened and you took on our pain and took on our suffering. That the one who created all things died in our place. And so tonight, Father, we, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. We ask that we um, would be drawn to you, to the mystery that is your death for us and your love for us. And that in so doing we would be transformed and beckoned to follow you on the path of the cross. And it's in your son's beautiful name that we pray all of these things and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.